Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. So I want to tell you about our new sponsor of the podcast, Thrive Market. As many of you know, I recently became a dad. My wife, Colleen, and I have an eight-month-old baby girl, Ellie. It's not an exaggeration when I say that as a new parent, Thrive Market has been a complete lifesaver, which is why I'm so excited that we've teamed up with them to offer you $60 of free organic groceries, free shipping, and a 30-day trial membership. Yep, you heard that right, $60 of free groceries. It's a crazy good deal and it's going to save you a ton of money on food and products that'll make you feel absolutely amazing. And you can get all the details by going to thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. Again, thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. If you haven't heard of Thrive Market, it's an online marketplace that's made up of 100% healthy and organic products, the type of premium food, household cleaners, and bathroom products you'd see on MBG. Except on Thrive, everything is 25 to 50% off retail price. They do this by taking out the middleman. They work with brands directly and then pass those savings on to their customers. For Colleen and I, the convenience has been a huge part of it. Everything on Thrive Market is hyper curated, so we're not scrolling through endless lists trying to find the one or two brands that meet our admittedly stringent standards. In Brooklyn, where we live, you often find yourself going to one store for collagen powder, another store for organic soap, another store for the right brand of BPA-free canned beans. It can take hours. And as someone running a major wellness media company, that's time I simply don't have. Thrive Market is one-stop shopping. Everything on the site is amazing, but beyond that, you can click to sort by vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, organic, paleo, etc. You can even sort by more out there things. For instance, as you know, we're big into gut health on MBG. And as you might not know, Colleen is actually a big snacker. So on Thrive Market, you can go to the snack section and click to filter by snacks that contain probiotics. That was how we actually discovered the farmhouse culture Kraut Crisps, which contain billions of probiotics and are dangerously good. Check them out at thrivemarket.com slash mindbuddygreen. We've also been loving the lifestyle categories. Browsing the mom section was how Colleen stumbled across the organic gripe water that's been a game changer for Ellie's teething pain. I didn't even know what gripe water was, to be honest, and I definitely didn't know that there was an organic version. But thanks to Thrive Market, we now have a happy baby on our hands. And get this, it's normally $12.50 at your local health food store, but only $8.50 on Thrive Market. We recently held our annual Revitalize event in Arizona, where we debuted our new motto, You, We, All. At MBG, we think it's so important to reap the benefits of wellness on an individual level. Sure, we all want to feel amazing and live our best lives, but recently, we've really focused on expanding that message. We believe that wellness can change the world and that people who feel good can affect amazing change, which is why I'm so excited to hear about Thrive Market's one-for-one program. For everyone that signs up, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher to help make healthy living affordable for everyone. Okay, so here's the deal. Right now, you can get up to $60 of free organic groceries, free shipping, and a 30-day trial membership by going to thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. I'd start in the staple section where you'll find the kind of wellness essentials that we recommend on Mind Buddy Green daily, and then work your way out from there, depending on your own needs and preferences. 
Keep in mind, all of their prices are already up to 50% off, and now they're giving you an extra $60 free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash mindbuddygreen. But be careful with the Kraut Crisps, though. Don't say I didn't warn you. Okay, now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you all for listening to the podcast and to say that we want to listen to you. So if you have any questions, any dream guests, we are all ears. I would love to hear from you. So ask me anything and stay tuned for the answers or your dream guests on this very podcast. Send your questions to podcast at mindbodygreen.com. That's podcast at mindbodygreen.com. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks so much. And let's go back to the podcast. Welcome to the Mind Body Green podcast. This is Colleen Wachab sitting in for host and my husband, Jason Wachab. This week, I'm beyond excited to chat with Norma Kamali. Norma is an iconic American fashion designer who you may know for her sleeping bag coat and her incredible swimsuit line. At age 72, she is not only one of fashion's true pioneers, an inspiring businesswoman, but also a true wellness warrior. Norma is incredibly passionate about wellness and even co-authored a book, Facing East. I've had the privilege of knowing Norma for the past eight years, and she has so much to share about wellness, balance, and being a successful entrepreneur. Welcome, Norma. Um, Can you share a little bit with the Mind Body Green audience about how you got into wellness? You're a huge wellness pioneer. I got into wellness at birth because my mother was this very eccentric, kooky lady who was very different from everyone in the neighborhood. And she was juicing and working out to Jack LaLanne. Nobody knows who that is, but I'm telling you, he was like the hero for for that generation. And she had herbs in the kitchen growing at the window and... She was an expert on supplements, and she read everything you could possibly read about being healthy. It was not called wellness then. I'm not sure what it was called. And everything in the house and everything she did had that sort of tone about it. So when my friends came over, I would beg her to just be like everybody else's mother and not do those things that she does. Years went by where I just dismissed that and was not going to take that path. And then finally, I realized how brilliant and ahead of everything she was. And so it was very easy for me to say, oh, yeah, I understand all the 100,000 things you could do with olive oil. And I understand salt and healing. And, and, And it was what I knew. My curiosity expanded through the years personally. And then after 9-11, I thought the amount of stress that we would live with for the rest of our forever would be so debilitating to our immune systems that I needed to have a place in my building that was sort of a little wellness cafe where people could come and get things that would boost their immune system. So I had juices from Organic Avenue and then Juice Press and Ginger Snaps and there were no juice places uptown 
at all at the time. And we had gym classes on the fifth floor. Every day we'd have a different type of class. We even had gyrokinesis and um, meditation and yoga, Pilates, everything. And so that started my bringing it into the fashion world and people who thought that being pretty meant you had to cover up what was not looking so good. Yeah, I love that. so much of the the wellness in your building started from a need that you saw within the community you know particularly after after 9-11 and there was heightened stress levels um and and hearing you talk about new york in 2010 i i couldn't help but but smile because it i forget how much has evolved so quickly Mm -hmm. especially in new york and la uh with regard to wellness yeah So stress seems like something that's just part of life for New Yorkers. What have you found that's worked for you to help with stress and what's helped other, you know, members of the community that are coming in uh, to your building? There are many things we can do for stress. Um, One is first recognizing that stress is making you sick um, or participating in making you sick and not feel well and not sleep. And once you recognize it and you see where it's coming from, you can try to modify it. So in in my business, that's a real challenge to try to modify it. And if you're obsessed and you want to do a million things in life, it even is more difficult. But recognizing it is number one. I think really making sure that you are sleeping is the number one, I, I can't think of anything more important. So sleep is, is key. And if you have a problem with it, which is probably everybody that has a tremendous amount of stress, taking measures to really learn, finding out what you guys have to say, reading everything, keeping up on tips for you. And it's very individual because we all have different issues with sleep and And I think there are key things you can do. Obviously, caffeine, room temperature. What time do you sleep at? I like it cool. Um, I like to have to put a blanket on. Um, There's something about that. I'm actually experimenting with those heavy blankets. And I'm, I'm totally impressed at how that just puts you in this little cocoon that is amazing. Um, So I think blankets are important. I think how you feel in your bed, the kind of pillow you have, the scent, sounds if you want, sounds to kind of take you away from your thought patterns are really important. There, We have these amazing sleep drops in the Wellness Cafe that are just fantastic and you don't get any buzz. It's all herbs. It's just really chills you out to a point where you're so relaxed that sleep feels like the next best thing. There's a list a mile long, obviously. Um, There could be a whole podcast just on sleep, or two or ten. But I do think that's number one. I think meditation is also extremely helpful. And not everyone has, especially New Yorkers, has the mindset for taking... 10 minutes, 20 minutes, five minutes out either in the morning or whenever they to, to meditate. 
So if I miss a meditation, which I really don't like to do, but if I do and I'm feeling stressed during the day, I have a great tip. And what it is is my meditation room becomes the bathroom. So I go in, I turn off the lights, I put the lid down, I just sit and know that no one will bother me. And I breathe and I listen to my breath, let it settle. And then when I feel my breath is settling, I go into a meditation for as long as I feel I need to. It's sort of my body tells me, my brain tells me when I'm, I'm at a good point. And then I come out of it slowly. I wash my hands. I put cold water on my face. I do whatever it is to sort of now put me back into the space I was in before, but in a different way completely. It works so well for me. Um, unfortunately, some of the people in my company know that that's what I do now. So somebody actually said, Norma, are you meditating? And I was like, I'm going to come out and kill her. <laughs> the secret's out. Right. But it does work. So meditation to me is another super helpful stress reliever. And then, you know, working out moving, walking, whatever it is you do to release some of that stress energy is critical. And I think doing something every day is important. You don't have to, you know, kill yourself and go aerobic overload every day, but something, even walking, if walking is your thing and that's what you do, sprint and walk do do different things so that that excess energy the adrenaline energy that sort of the the stuff that really feeds into the stress let it sort of flow out through um, some form of exercise it works for me I look at every day at 445 I am going to be working out at that time. That's when I need to. My brain has totally zapped out at that point, and I can dedicate it to my physical energy. And then I think what we eat. Oh, so all of those hyper kind of um, caffeinated anything or anything that sort of energizes is really anti-stress it's the worst I mean it's pro-stress and not and it's anti-health and so keeping that out of your cupboard out of the kitchen is really the best thing to do even as much as I love having a piece of dark dark chocolate there's just so much of that you can do if you're stressed out so even something that can be good for you super moderation just the tiniest bit really helps, especially when you're stressed, which is when we eat all the bad things. Of course. <laughs> um, so you're in this interesting position in the front row of fashion and the front lines of wellness. Um, and when you brought wellness to New York um, post um, 2001, you know, it was still something a little woo woo, not something totally embraced by the majority of the fashion world. How has the relationship between fashion and wellness evolved? And where do you see it now? It's an incredible change. Um, if I would say right now, 
fashion is experiencing a huge dilemma on a lot of levels, um, just figuring out who it is, who we are as an industry, how we behave, how we sell clothes, how we show the clothes, who are the girls we show them on, what all, everything is turned upside down. And I've been saying for years, and the reason I'm so committed to this, is that fashion cannot be more important than how you feel, how you are taking care of yourself and your lifestyle. Because beauty is really the you without anything on, without any makeup, straight out of the shower. That's who you are and that's your self-esteem and that's your beauty and making it the best you possibly can, doing the best for yourself is is more important because there is no dress that's going to give you the self-esteem you have when you have nothing on. There's nothing you can do, no matter what you put on your face, no matter how you hide wrinkles or pimples or what freckles or whatever you're hiding. Hiding is so bad for you. Being free and spirited and showing everything is really the best for empowerment and self-esteem. So fashion should enhance your look, who you are. It should be an expression of who you are. It can't be more important. So I think the fashion industry will come to terms with that and embrace um, wellness in a way it hasn't done before. And you talked um, a little bit about women's empowerment. That's been something that's been very important to you for, for many decades. Um, you know, now we are having a lot of dialogue around it. Uh, you know, Me Too just happened. We keep on getting more and more really disturbing news right now. Um, I think there are a lot of women who are hurting um, and in a lot of pain. Um, and it's great to see this dialogue happening. Um, and it's also just s happening in a way that affects every single industry out there. Um, what advice would you give to women who are grappling with these issues right now and how they can help themselves, their families, and their communities feel more empowered? Um, years ago, I started a campaign, um, and the campaign is and was called Stop Objectification. What year is this? Oh, probably, probably eight years ago. And, um, and the reason I started it was because Stop objectification to me was my realization that I had been hiding um, stories, secrets uh, that were so painful um, and they were based on experiences I had of objectification. So I had humiliating and embarrassing situations that had happened and I tucked them away and through a couple of incidents, they started to come to the surface, and they came to the surface at a time when I was really looking at or trying to understand why women had such self-hate about their bodies, their hair, their mm -hmm. faces, and why is this happening? Why are we like this? 
And then I thought about all of these secrets that have been tucked away in all of our heads because each woman on the planet is objectified and has been objectified uh, hundreds of times in their lifetime. If, and hundreds may not even be the amount. Um, and I started to put that together. And then I realized when I started telling people about painful experiences that I've had that I never talked about, I had such a sigh of relief. And it was almost like AA. I was sort of confessing and, mm -hmm. and freeing myself from the secret that was taking down my self-esteem. And when I would tell some women, then they would say, and this is what happened to me, and then their stories would inspire somebody else to tell theirs. And that freeing experience was really very helpful. So that was the first step of understanding how deep and how pervasive this is for ev every woman has so many stories and their stories are not the worst stories that have ever been told. They're, they're just so many and so many difficult ones. So I started to talk to big groups of women at JP Morgan, 600 women talking about workplace uh, objectification to college students in NYU and doing a forum with them. I just did a breakfast not too long ago of a group of, of girls just in their early 20s. And the ratio of rape in that small group of girls was just enormous compared to what we think rape is about. And what but, we talk about. Yeah. So more and more I realized that exposing these secrets is a good thing. And then I thought, if girls told their fathers about times they had been objectified, but told it in detail, their fathers would automatically become advocates through, not because they were told with a pointed finger, you should, but the pain that their daughters experienced could not be more devastating to a father to then have him teach his son, tell other friends, and start to get men to actually change their behavior because there was an emotional commitment to doing it. So fast forward to where we are now, which is just a curse and a blessing at the same time, we have people who have been behaving badly and getting away with it and people knowing that this is sort of oh that's what he does creating the release for these stories as i think about the stories being told i'm so excited that they're freeing themselves as painful as it is but then i think especially for someone at my in my age i realize that boys in their 20s to men in their you know 90s all already at, in their lives have committed many acts of objectification and not necessarily at the extreme of some of the cases we're hearing now but just because it was sort of the macho thing that got passed down from one generation to another. 
And it wasn't meaning to create harm, but if they knew how painful it was through a conversation that's intimate, that they would change their behavior. So I think while it's really important to shame right now, to, to, to create an atmosphere of conversation and storytelling, I do think if you were to talk to your dad and he were absolutely honest, he might confess that he objectified women without intention at all, or men that you're with, that you love, who you think are well-meaning, probably have objectified women and not ever wanted to create pain, but just out of pure ignorance on, on behavior male to women. So we have a lot of work to do right now. One is telling stories and doing that, and the other is measuring the shame we, the, you know, the calling out uh, of men who are doing these things because I think we'll find that there are very few men, if any, who haven't even in some way done uh, something that objectified someone or created a feeling of objectification for women. So I think we need to understand the perspective and now we need to have men participate in changing the behavior of of everyone thank you so much for that um i do agree that the sharing of stories has been so cathartic for for so many women um what do you see as the role of the fashion industry in helping to evolve this conversation around women's empowerment because so much of the fashion industry whether it's you know, women's magazines, the way in which we show women's bodies, the idea of perfection have perpetuated some of this objectification of women. So, you know, if you had a, a wish list and a magic wand of the changes you would like to see so that fashion can help support women's empowerment, what would that look like? You know, it's happening. It's, it's already happening. I think my idea of what the body, the the fashion-friendly body is of our time is a fit body. And I'm not saying it has to be, you know, so built and so toned. I'm not talking about an athletic body per se, but a body that is healthy and that is as fit as it can be and that there's a healthy glow to her skin and a sparkle in her eye and just a feeling of power in the way she stands. So it's a different stance, it's a different body gesture, it's um, a different tone to her arms. So we're in a, in, a, in a funny place right now because there are models who are still sort of held under a standard that's been in the industry for a long time, and then there are the fitness models. So in between that, there's this gap right now, and there needs to be a synergy between the two where the models are working out and they're really going and toning their bodies and, and doing things that are fitness so that they can be modern and they can be in the moment. And then there are the fitness models that are models that should exist now too because it's, 
it's a direction towards health and fitness and it's more specific, but it is a real category. Yep. The, the, on actually next week, I'm going to do a panel for, of models talking about the industry and talking about their change for independence now really comes through social media. So a model does have a voice now. She can talk about programs she's interested in or social issues that are important to her or a, a pet hobby that has some meaning to her or to the world. And s models have never had anybody ask their actresses are always asked, and what do you think about whatever? And they tell us whether we want to hear it or not, we hear it. But models are never asked uh, anything. So I did a photo shoot yesterday for my summer uh, pre-fall collection. And the entire shoot was I did stills on my iPhone, and then I did videos. And the video section was me asking them questions about their lives. Giving them a voice. And so they have a voice, and I was taking a picture of them and the clothes while they were talking. So it wasn't just the clothes. It was, here's a girl whose career is being a model and she is a person with a voice and interests and a personality and it was so fantastic we're editing today and i can't wait to hear what the 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 compilation of all their stories and the questions and of course i had to keep coming up with another question i thought oh my god i don't think i don't think there's another question i can ask in the world but it was great for every outfit i asked a question and it covered everything from modeling to personal likes dislikes and they were very open and very raw in some cases so it's going to be interesting to present models with a voice who happen to be wearing my clothes. Right. So you talked a little bit about this healthy glow. Um, you clearly have a healthy glow. You gave me a kiss when I saw you and I was struck by how soft your skin is. Clearly whatever you're doing is really working for you. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight into your morning routine? Um, so my morning routine, I think olive oil is such a big part of who I am <clears throat> and what I do that I can just tell you olive oil is in every part of my day in some form or another. So um, from the minute I wake up, just, I mean, I have, if I'm going to meditate, that would be a time when it's nice and quiet. Um, I'll feed my dog. Then, um, what time do you wake up about? Um, I'm early. It could be like 4.30, 5 o'clock. I'm an early person. <laughs> I love early, quiet time. And then I, um, I've started um, drinking mushroom coffee, which I'm really learning to love a lot. I didn't at the beginning with um, some um, almond milk. Have you tried chaga? And um, I'm really liking it a lot. And I actually feel good about it. And it I'm, doesn't jolt you? No, no. 
No, yeah. it, because it's mushroom. It's right. not, yeah. Uh, and I like the smell of coffee-like things in the morning, even though I know it's, it's not a ritual. Good. Yeah, and then um, and then I'm uh, I take a shower and I have all of my skin things that I do, and I like. Um, this I like exfoliating and I like very fine exfoliants for body and face. Even though um, there's really no soap in it, it's it's really fantastic. And um, a lot of what I have, including that, would have olive oil in it. So I take a shower and then I do that last. So it's you really clean your skin and then have olive oil in this sort of mixture that I've put together as a, a final kind of coat. And then... Um, and do you put olive oil both on your face and your body? Totally. I have a, a liniment that I use for my face and body. So it's it has olive oil and calcium in it. And it's great for your feet and your face. It's the simplest, simplest thing. And I just use it all the time and it I think it makes your skin soft and there's nothing in it there's nothing except simple simple you know clean easy and the base is olive oil so it's always going to moisturize and and feed your body and do you dilute it at all or is it just extra virgin olive oil well i mix it but i there's a we've been selling this in the cafe forever i found it when i went on my olive oil orchard hunt when i was looking for the best olive oils and in one of the um, orchards there was a woman who had this concoction that was this calcium type um, um, blend that she did with olive oil and I said where did you get that so she sent me to this company that would manufacture it and I've been buying it from them ever since and it is so simple and olive oil on its own would do the same thing or olive oil with salt scrubs would do the same thing so this is from my mother from you know back in in my childhood this was what I saw her use and I find very helpful for me too and um, so my routine is very simple. I don't wear a lot of makeup or do a whole kind of eyelash ritual. I, I probably put a little mascara on and um, lip balm and, that, and not too complicated. Um, I feel less on my face, gets better and better as I age and I, I'm okay with showing the crevices and everything but they don't look as good when you put makeup on to hide them so I'm not going to happen with that um, I use um, a tooth soap that I love a lot um, not a toothpaste I sometimes I do but there's something about the tooth soap that um, is as close to pulling as you can get okay. so it also has olive oil and it also ha is great um, for bacteria in your mouth so there are times where I really and I think it's in the winter I tend to go back to my tooth soap again so I have an electric toothbrush that I really like a lot I have a water pick mm -hmm. I love a lot um, I don't know how I ever brush my teeth without having a water pick too it's just incredible that like 
oh my God, you really need to have a water pick in your life. Um, I don't know if that's the brand I have, but and I'm, I, it's sort of become a generic name. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I just, you sort of do it in a trance. I feel like I'm not um, spending a lot of time in the mirror in the morning because mm. I'm always sort of in a hurry. So I go instinctively on how I'm going to look or what I'm going to wear. Um, and then I think later, maybe I should have looked in the mirror a little bit longer. Um, I find having the hair style I have very easy because it is what it is. I have bangs and I brush my hair and I'm not, I, I don't spend time with blow dryers and all of that. I have no patience for it. So I like the sort of wash and wear kind of hair thing going on. And I'm not that um, low maintenance. I'm not trying to say that I couldn't go high maintenance in a second. And so when I want to get dolled up, then I'll spend lots of times, or sometimes I'll spend time in the mirror thinking of how I'd like to do my eye makeup or something with my eyebrows or what is my face looking like now at 72 and taking a good look and saying, oh, okay, that's that's what it is and you know that's what uh what I'm doing when I don't sleep I don't look as good so that look in the mirror will tell me "Uh oh you better get some sleep because you're not looking so good so you know when you're not looking good you haven't been doing what you should be doing for yourself yeah yeah sleep is pretty priceless too totally um so I I know we share this passion around traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture. How has that played into your own health and wellness? Um, it's amazing. It's just uh, something that I wish everybody would at least experiment with so they can have their own personal experience with it. Mine came first through vanity. As I've told you before, I had um, friends in China, girlfriends in China, who always looked so great. And, um, and I was like, what do you guys do? Like <laughs> your face, your skin? They said, oh, we, um, we get acupuncture facelifts. And I was like, hello? You mean no knives, no nothing? Oh, wait, wait, let me see what that is. So I came home and I contacted Gordon Chang, I don't know if you know who he is, and I contacted Andrew Weil and everybody in any way that could possibly know who the best acupuncture doctor was, and they all came up with Dr. Yang. And and Dr. Yang is a psychiatrist and also a Chinese doctor. His father was a Chinese doctor. It's a familial thing, and they... um, the combination of both together makes for this fantastic man. So the problem was his office was in Philadelphia. So I would have to, I had to think about it. Okay, how much do I want to have this acupuncture facelift? I want it. Okay, I'm getting in a car, two hours, you know, to Philadelphia. I get to see him the first time. And I, he said, why are you here? And I said, because I want an acupuncture facelift. And he said, well, you're not getting one. I said, whoa, what do you mean? I came two hours to get here, and he said, Chinese medicine is not about facelifts. It's about many other things. 
And he said, if you're interested, I'd be more than happy to, you know, tell you more about um, acupuncture and what it does. I said, I would love to, um, and can I record our sessions? And he said, yes. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do this every week. So for six months, every Thursday, 2 o'clock, Philadelphia, here I come. And he eventually did give me an acupuncture facelift. And it was interesting because the next day at work, we were a big open plan company, so everybody sees everybody's face. One of the girls said to me, you know, and nobody knew what I was doing. She said, you know, you look really good today. And like I said, I don't look at myself in the morning. So I went into the ladies room and I was like, oh yeah, you look really good today. (laughs) I was like, this is fab. So I not only saw that there's a lack of stress in my face after that experience, but I also realized and learned that it was holistic. It was top to bottom. You felt better on the inside. The facelift isn't just a centered space. It was everything he did. And the, the real beauty of acupuncture for me is the minute I have acupuncture, the last needle goes in, I am out sleeping in almost like an anesthesia type sleep. It is so deep and so refreshing that I really don't want to be waking up, but I'm, I'm so grateful for it when I am uh, just back in the world again and I feel so good. So acupuncture and what I've learned from him is an extraordinary addition to my life and I love sharing it and I wrote a little part of our our book together was our adventure of me taping his sessions and so his book is really fantastic. It has so much helpful information, just sort of the ABCs of acupuncture, and yes, a little bit about acupuncture facelifts too. So from bringing juice and and mindful movement to to New York City in in 2010, you've clearly been at the forefront of, of, of wellness movements. What do you think is the future of wellness? Well, I think the future of wellness is it becomes the norm. Um, it, it just becomes the way we live. It's clear that that's where we're going. I think you guys have contributed to helping everyone distill information, understand what's going on, what they should know about. And the more good information people have, the more readily accessible all of these things are, the easier it is to incorporate it in a lifestyle. So as long as people understand it's not a trend, it's not a diet, it's not a trick, that it's a lifestyle, and that once you commit to it, you feel so good that I don't think that the idea of a treat of an ice cream sundae would be appealing to anybody in the future, that a treat would be a fresh something that makes you feel good after you eat it, not puts you to sleep or puts you in some sort of coma of of what you've eaten. So I think people will understand that it's not just food, it's not just a workout, it's a whole change in the way 
we live our lives, the way we buy our food, the way we communicate, everything changes. Um, I, lo- I, I love where you, what you were saying about it's just the way we live and, and hopefully it's not a wellness community and another community mm-hmm. and it's just one world and, and it's how embedded in the way we eat, the way we think, um, the way we move. Is there any advice you'd give to your 20-something-year-old self? Um, that I should have listened to my mother right away <laughs> instead of trying to be different and rebel. She she was way ahead of the world. I, I mean, I have no idea why that was. But We're just catching it, up with mom now. Yeah, and so she, my mother was just juicing, growing herbs in the kitchen, and this is in a New York City apartment I'm talking about, and she was uh, exercising and doing all of those things that really made a difference in in the way she looked. She was just impeccable till the day she died, and it was because she was beautiful, because she looked so good her skin was glowing her you know her eyes were sparkling she really represented that and um i didn't you know my generation rebelled against parents so there was no way i was gonna be as freaky as she was but then i realized oh my god where did how did she know how was she so smart and why didn't i appreciate it immediately but i Found by not paying attention to her easily uh, that I should have, and that there, there, there was no reason not to just say, "Okay, mom, you're right." Couldn't agree with you more that so many of the wellness lessons relevant today we learn from our, our mothers mm-hmm. and our, our grandmothers before them. Um, as you know, we've evolved our mission statement here at Mind Body Green. Um, it's now you, we, and all as we. Um, really seek to expand and elevate the wellness conversation. What does you, we all mean to you? Well, I think it, it's sort of going back to this is life. This is our lifestyle. This is the way we see everyone at their best. A, a, a healthy planet and a healthy home are the same thing. The planet is our home. Our home is the individual aspect of it and how we respect each other and love each other really comes from the way we behave and I think when you have respect for yourself and your family you automatically will have respect for the planet so wellness is a very key point uh, in in talking about the planet and the future of the planet it, it has to do with how we grow food. It has to do with not allowing toxins to be a part of our lives. It has to do with sustainability. It's everything we think about just in micro ways, but it's really it's huge. It's a, it's, it's a big part of the future. Couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much for coming in today, Norma. Thank you so much for having me.